Good morning. My name is Aaron Grogan. Most of you know I'm an elder here at Christian Fellowship Church. And it's a pleasure to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. Um, I always appreciate that Pastor Lucas is willing to share the pulpit with elders and um, other men. So it's a, a great opportunity and a blessing. If you would please uh, pray with me again. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you uh, this morning would um, speak boldly through me, that I would set aside myself and the Holy Spirit would speak and I'd be able to convey the truths that you have here in Scripture today. And Lord, I pray that if there are any, any unbelievers here or watching online, that um, maybe your words spoken this morning could change their hearts. I ask you that this uh, lesson would be uh, pleasing to you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, many of you know that um, I run a small business, have for many, many years. And in 2011, um, my business went through some really difficult times. Uh, the trials in my life were overwhelming, both personal and in the business, and I didn't know how to fix these problems. I couldn't understand why was this happening to me. It was not a happy time in my life. Quite frankly, I was miserable. I kept having to lay people off at work. I kept having to cut my own salary further and further. I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to take care of my family. But I remember talking to some friends, and they kept reminding me, kept encouraging me to lean into the Lord. They said, you know, Lord, the Lord has a plan. I was struggling, but I was trying to turn it over to the Lord. But I wanted things to change the way I wanted them to change. My pride kept getting in the way, and I kept thinking, I could fix this on my own. Now, clearly I wasn't, but I kept thinking I was going to. Um... Being able to look back, I guess I really hadn't turned anything over to the Lord. But one day, in mid-2011, I was in my car, driving to work one morning, and as was my habit at that time, I was praying, trying, asking God, I need help. How do I, how do I get through this day? What do I do? And I pulled up to the light at uh, Rawling and uh, Feasterfield couple blocks from here. I remember it clearly because I had been praying. I knew what I needed to pray, but my pride and my fear of trusting wouldn't allow me. So I pulled up to this light. I was emotional. I was stressed out, sleep deprived with worry, tears in my eyes. And I prayed to God when I never thought I would have the courage to pray. I said, God, if you need to take my business, take it. I didn't know what, where that would lead me. I didn't know what it would mean for my employees. And at that moment, I finally found some peace. Dare I say joy. In my heart, knowing that my life belonged to God, and my life was His, I would be okay as long as I was with God. 
I don't think I even knew at that time, at that moment, that I was changing, that I had just matured as a Christian. The goodness of God was always there. I just needed to choose that path. And that was a turning point. Unfortunately, not necessarily for the business. I still had several years of up and down and some tough times. But I had changed. I was learning to find joy in my trials. That's what we're going to talk about today. How we must face our trials with joy. Because those trials will mature us as Christians. So please turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. James is writing to uh, the dispersed, scattered tribes um, of Israel that are all over. These are Jewish Christians that he's writing to. So read, follow along with me. James, as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. He will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word of the Lord. We must face our trials with joys, because these trials will mature us as Christians. And verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet trials. So trials, he's saying trials are going to happen. It's not if we have trials. It's not maybe we'll have trials. It's when we have trials. What are we supposed to do with these trials or struggles? 
James says in verse 2, we must meet these trials with joy. But joy and trials, it's not something I, we would normally think of together. Think about this. I come home, hey honey, I'm home. Guess what? I just got fired today. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? I'm so filled with joy. Or how about this? Your child comes home, teenage child. Hey, Dad, guess what? I just got my second speeding ticket this week. Isn't that awesome? I know you're filled with joy, aren't you, Dad? Let me tell you, Bryce is uh, taking driver's ed right now. And if he comes home and tells me he just got his second speeding ticket in the same week, he's definitely going to be in a trial. And I guarantee you he's not going to be happy. He's not going to be happy in that sense of joy. But that's not what I think James is saying here. In our society, joy is often synonymous with happy. But happiness is because of. Um, and joy is something that's in spite of. Let me explain that a little bit. In our outside circumstances are what's driving our happiness. So if the day, if today's a beautiful day and I don't have to work, I get to spend the day with my family, and that's a good day. It makes me happy, all these things. Those outward experiences are driving happiness inside. But joy is from the inside out. So imagine a different day. It's freezing rain outside. It is, I have to work today. I'm five mi 500 miles from home. My car breaks down in the freezing rain. I'm not generally going to think that's a happy day. Those outside experiences are driving me to say, not, not a happy situation. But it is possible for us to have joy in those situations. Joy comes from knowing the Lord, from being filled with the Spirit. God revealed His truths to me, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and so I always have God's joy in me. And it can come out in these trials as we endure, as we learn to endure. James is talking about joy that is dependent on the Lord and not on our circumstances. <clears throat> We, should, we, we will have trials, and they come, can come at any time, and we should expect trials in our lives. We may not want them or have planned them, but they do come. But we can cling to the fact that there is no trial, no matter how great, no problem, no unseen rock, no storm in our life that isn't part of God's plan. But why do we have these trials? Let's look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Paul tells us basically the same thing in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So testing produces steadfastness. And James is, again, he's speaking to these um, Christian Jews. And in verse 3 he says, For you know. 
he's not telling them something new. He's encouraging them with something they already know, that the trials test our faith. And in 1 Peter 1.7, it's more used that the trials prove our faith or result in faith. So testing produces steadfastness. Uh, the different, uh, different translations um, say it a little bit differently to help, I think it helps kind of explain um, you know, that testing produces steadfastness. The NIV, NIV says it produces perseverance. NSAB says it produces endurance, or the King James Version says it, it produces uh, patience. So testing of your faith produces endurance in you. Verse 4 goes on to say, let steadfastness or endurance have its full effect. Again, in the NIV it says, finish the work. Let steadfastness complete us so we're lacking in nothing. Luke 21.19 says, endurance, uh, by endurance you gain life. So we're going through these trials, counting them a joy, and we're enduring not on our, our power, but on the Lord's power. God enables the believers to endure the challenges and trials he allots in life. The trials produce maturity in the Christian walk. That completeness, that's, com- that's Christian maturity. Life with Christ, that's our goal. Full Christian maturity is life complete. But what if we don't know how to persevere? What if we need help? God gives us wisdom for trials. Let's look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we ask God in prayer. But what is this wisdom? First, I want to talk just briefly about knowledge. Knowledge is gained through the studying of new information. It consists of retaining that information, and it's like a rich storage of that information. Whereas wisdom, on the other hand, has to do more with insight, understanding, and application. So let's take a situation with the Bible. There's someone in my life that knows the Bible, you might say relatively well, and they could point to a passage and they could tell me what that passage says. But, unfortunately, he has zero wisdom with regards to the Bible. They don't understand what it says. God's not revealed any truths to him. This person hasn't grown in the word, so he lacks wisdom. So with wisdom comes spiritual maturity. And wisdom is knowing how to use the information to better know God. When you're wise in the Bible, you will know God's intentions and you'll better guide your conduct and conduct of others. Having knowledge in in the Bible is important, and I am in no way discounting that. But to achieve the completeness that James speaks of in verse 4, lacking in nothing, the completeness, we must have wisdom, and that comes from God. That comes from 
our endurance choosing to love God, James is directly reflecting on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22. I want to read that. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So brothers and sisters, we have to be all in. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. We can't be asking for wisdom, but then trying to do everything on our own. We can't say, God help me, but now I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. Because I, I want to figure it out can't be filled with doubt. And it's not just the doubt that, can God really do this? Or even sometimes people think of doubt as, well, maybe I don't deserve this. I don't think that's what James is talking about. I think he's talking more about, um, are you sure you really want what you're asking for? I know that sounds strange, but when I was so afraid of turning this business over to God, um, I was afraid that maybe God's plan wasn't the right plan. Now, I know, that's arrogant, right? But we get lost in our sin. And as it turns out, I when I was asking, I was asking being double-minded. I wanted his will, but I wanted my will. To, I wanted his will, but I wanted his will to be my will. I wanted him to do what I wanted him to do. I wanted God to be in charge, but I just wouldn't turn over the reins. So as verse 6 says, I was tossing in the wind from God's will to my will. It wasn't until I was fully able to turn it over to God that I could find peace and joy turn it over with no doubting that God had this. You can't have one foot seeking God's wisdom and the other foot in the world seeking your will of what the world says. It sounds simple. We just have to ask God in prayer for wisdom. Wisdom is the means by which the godly can both discern and carry out the will of God. I like that. Wisdom is the means by which the godly can both discern and carry out the will of God. Now in these next couple verses, uh, 9 through 11, at first glance they might seem out of place. James is talking about having joy in our trials, seeking the completeness. He's talking about wisdom and how that can help in our trials. And then we come to verses 9 through 11, and we get this contrast of, of the poor and the rich. And I think we've got to think about who's James writing to. And there's most of the commentators that I read all kind of agree that this is probably an example of kind of what he's talking about. Let's look at verse 9. 
Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation. Now, that's contrary to what we're used to in the world today, right? The world would say, I don't want to be poor. That's way too hard. Worrying all the time, do I have enough money? Do I even have the things to meet my needs? The world would say being rich is the way to be. I have money for everything I want. I can take care of myself. I have all this great stuff, homes and money, jewelry, whatever I want. The world sees the poor as lowly and doomed for misery. They see the rich as blessed and honored. They see the rich as the example and the goal. But James is saying the lowly and poor can boast, can rejoice. Isaiah 29, 19 also says, The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. So oftentimes, I think the poor, many of us, think we would rather have the problems of the rich than the problems of the poor, right? I mean, that, sometimes I know we've all felt that way. The Bible is pretty clear, or pretty clearly implies that there are great challenges for the rich person to live in a life of Christ. Let's just look at one or two. First Timothy 6, 9 through 10, it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into rain and destruction. That sounds encouraging, right? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, is this what we're, we want our life and our temptations and our struggles to be? Being rich is not a sin. The Lord gave King Solomon both wealth, riches, and honor. But it's not easy. You can easily stray from that path, just as we've just read. So what part do your riches hold in your heart? I think that's what's important. John two, uh, 1 John 2.15, we're told, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James is telling his audience that the struggle of poverty is creating perseverance and spiritual maturity. And that the rich who are holding on to desperately all the things that they have in life are going to pass away. word of the life is eternal. When we hang on to the riches, as it, as it says, the flowers, they die. Our riches die. We're left with nothing at the end. So after this kind of break in the passage for, for the example of the rich and poor, James returns back to the need to remain in steadfast trials. But now, here in verse 12, he's speaking more of the prospect of a future reward 
instead of the uh, perfecting of our, our present character that he did in verse 2 and 4, or 2 through 4. We need to endure our trials to gain Christian maturity. We need to receive the crown of life by loving God through enduring our trials with steadfastness. So let's look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now, blessed doesn't necessarily just mean happiness. Our emotions are going to change during trials, right? You're going through a trial. Um, you could be mad. You could be sad. You could even just be frustrated with the situation. But I think James is also saying blessed in the way that it's used in Luke 12.37, which is more fulfilled. So you could say, Happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. But I think James is more saying, fulfilled is the man who remains steadfast under trial. But the blessing is not just in the deliverance from the trial. It is the reward of the crown of life. Look back at verse 12 again. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And that crown of life is the joyous goal. In the Bible, the wearing of the crown speaks of dignity of position in Esther 8.15 and gladness and rejoicing in Song of Solomon 3.11. But specifically, it is the reward of faithful endurance. The crown of life is the reward of faithful endurance. We see that same thing in Revelations 2.10. It says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The blessings we are seeking with our steadfastness in James 12 is the crown of life to be reserved for those who love God. So those, of you, those who use this life to endure for Jesus Christ <clears throat> will have an abundant life waiting for them from the hand of God. James is saying here that if we persevere through our trials with faith and commitment to God, God will favor us with his blessing. We endure our trials with steadfastness by making our choices based on the love of God, based on what's inside of us, not what's happening to us on the outside. God first loved us, and that creates the model for us to love him back as we persevere. The world may be saying, what are you doing? Why are you suffering so? Live a little. Give yourself a break. But loving God is choosing the sometimes hard path. If you love the Lord, we live by what we love. And if you love the world and its trappings, that's what your life will show. 
But if you love the Lord, you will see the love of Christ in your life. You will endure and grow your faith. Jesus suffered in his life in many ways. And we will have suffering in ours. But finding joy and an enduring during suffering will mature you as a Christian and ultimately give you the blessing of the crown of life. So next, I have a question for you. When you've been experiencing a uh, particularly difficult trial and you're wondering what's going on, have you, have you ever asked, why is God doing this to me? Maybe you've heard someone say, why is God tempting me? Why do I need to go through this? Let me give you an example. Many men and women struggle with lust. And a man could be praying diligently, working through his sin of lust. And he's, as he's going along one day, he has a chance encounter with a woman at work, maybe at a store or a party that he's at. She's a very pretty woman. She's interested in him and interested in what he has to say. But he goes on with his day and nothing happens. But he can't get that encounter out of his mind keeps thinking about it, and it's becoming a temptation, and he's turning to lust. And he says to a friend, why is God tempting me here? I'm praying, I'm trying to not lust, and then he gives me this temptation, this encounter of this woman, and I can't get her out of my mind. But here's the thing. Our temptations are not from God. Look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. We kind of have a transition happening here between verse 12 and verse 13. The Greek word for test in verse 12 is the same word that is translated tempted in verse 13 and 14. So James is transitioning from testing to tempting, and God doesn't tempt anyone. So let's talk about temptation for just a minute. So what if Beth, my wife, is making a plate of homemade oatmeal cookies for a gathering we're having at our house? And they are warm and right out of the oven. Soft, sweet, slightly savory, simply said, delicious. And I proceed to eat four or five cookies. Is that Beth's fault? Is it Beth's fault I had no self-control? <laughs> or teens, what if you're invited to a party uh, with a friend? And you go with this friend to a party, and there's drinking at this party, and you know you're not supposed to drink, but you feel the pressure, everybody else is drinking, so you decide to have a beer. Is that your fault that you chose to give in and have a beer even though you knew you weren't supposed to? If you're wondering, the answer is no. Um, it's not Beth's fault that I didn't exercise some self-control, and it's not your friend's fault that you gave in to, to the uh, temptation to have that beer. 
So if God puts you in a trial to grow in faith, to give you an opportunity to endure, to lean on him, is it his fault if you choose to sin? No. God doesn't tempt you. Every trial comes with temptation. That's the inner enticement to sin, right? God may bring on the trial, but he's not the author of temptation. So what is? Let's look at verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God's divine nature is holiness and goodness. Our nature, not so much. Our nature is centrally sinful. So our desire comes out and it births sin. Desire gives birth to sin and sin brings on death. In 1 Peter 2.11 we're urged not to give in to our sinful desires because they war against our soul. You certainly have experienced that in your own life, in temptations. When you're trying to endure, you're trying to, to do God's will, but there's a war going on in your heart. You want that temptation. So when my alarm goes off in the morning, and I have set it to get up to have some quiet time. And I don't want to get up when the alarm goes off. And I keep telling myself, but I deserve to have more sleep. I work hard. I've had a long day. I can skip this morning. The problem is, I can't trust my nature. My, ta- my nature is going to lead me to sin, right? That temptation turns into my desire for self-gratification, for my happiness. So our response to the temptation is the key, right? Do we persevere and go on with God, or do we disobey and give in to into temptation and death? Proverbs 19.16 says, Whoever keeps the commandments keeps his life. He who despises his way will die. We're seeking the crown of life in verse 12. We're seeking completeness, the end game, to be with Christ. How do we do this? How do we choose life and not sin when we're in our trials? We know it's not God tempting us because God is a giver of gifts. God gives us what we need to endure. There's a way forward in these trials, and we can choose to endure. We can choose based on our love of God. Look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything he gives, that God gives us, is exactly perfect. It is the perfect thing we need in that situation, even when a lot of times 
we can't see it being perfect. God is always there when he asks, when we ask. He's never not available to us. We just need to ask in prayer, and he needs to be faithful. God is always there. He's unchanging. He always has those good gifts. It's not like some days, God, can you help me? Nah, not today. I'm, I got something else to do. He's always there. It never changes. He has these good gifts just waiting for you. And guess what? This is God's will, his work alone. Look at verse 18. It says, of his own will. This is his plan. He called us to him with his word. John 6, says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And that faith that we exercise to come to the Lord, that's his too. He's the one that initiates that. This is his plan. So brothers and sisters, we must face trials with joys because our trials will mature us as Christians. We have to ask for wisdom. We have to respond with love for God. We have to deny our natural desires. And this leads us to spiritual maturity and a crown of life. We know this is hard, right? The natural desire is to sin, but sin brings on death. And you may be thinking, I try to endure. I try to choose the Lord and not the world, but I fail sometimes. And we do fail, and God sees our sin. And God is a just God, and our sins deserve a death. But in God's mercy, he sent his son to atone for our sins. Jesus came to live the perfect life, always enduring during the trials, always choosing the path of righteousness. And he died on the cross to pay the debt that we owed. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we no longer are only able to sin. We are sinners still. We're, not, we're no longer only sinners. We're God's children. We're able to endure. We're able to endure in our trials with perseverance, and we can grow in spiritual maturity because God gives us exactly what we need. We can attain the crown of life that was not possible without Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord God, giver of all good and perfect gifts, we pray that as we face the trials of life, that you give us the ability to persevere. We pray that in our faith that we choose correctly because of our love for you. And Lord, we pray that you will come back soon and complete us with your crown of life. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Would you please stand and sing again with us as we respond uh, to God's word?